You're listening to The Ragged Edge. I'm Richard Stone. We have lots of people who have serious transportation issues. You know, it's hard for them to get to Round Rock for a mammogram. It's really hard for them to get to an eye doctor appointment because they just don't have any transportation. We don't have public transportation. We're very rural. And so I think that virtual visits are excellent for them. My guest this week is a very dear friend of mine. Lisa Drummond is a nurse practitioner at Lone Star Circle of Care here in Taylor. We talked about the transformations the COVID-19 pandemic has wrought on the way healthcare is delivered, the new community-based clinic that's coming to Taylor real soon now, and once that happens, how she'll be able to prescribe carrots? The interview is next. Lisa Drummond, welcome to the program today. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I'm really doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for uh, being my the ace up my sleeve that I've been carrying around for, what, six months now, something like that? Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for asking. It's an honor to be considered for your program. Uh, uh, now, you're just, now you're just flattering me. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, I, pro- I normally open these interviews with um, a question about how you're doing. And you're a frontline frontline healthcare worker, so your perspective on that may be a little different than some other people's perspective. How are things going? Well, I think that people are starting to uh, have a little bit of hope that things can get back to normal again, or at least the new normal. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be uh, masking and more virtual kind of experiences for people, but um, I think that people are starting to feel more hopeful. You know, we have, uh, uh, I think, 25% of the United States has received their first vaccination. Uh, 14% has received both vaccinations. And so that's really great since we started off with healthcare workers and elderly people. But, uh, you know, people have been have been talking with me for the past um, year about the pandemic and isolation and depression and all of those things. And certainly we've seen an uptick of visits in the clinic. And that's been, it's been difficult for a lot of people. But from my personal point of view, things have stayed relatively the same. You know, we've been more cautious with our interactions and, you know, we don't go anywhere. But I go to work every day, just like I always have. And and also uh, do a lot of virtual visits in the clinic and at home. My colleague that's at the clinic with me and I alternate since our clinic is so small. So for me, things have not changed as much as you might think, but I do see in my patients every day that it has been a profound change. Can you, can you characterize that? I know you've got to be careful with patient confidentiality and things like that, but can you characterize what that profound change includes or encompasses? Yeah, um, I, I think that I've had a significant increase in referrals to behavioral health for therapy and medication. Also, I think that I've had a very significant increase in antidepressants administered and including antidepressants to adolescents, which really? I wasn't doing very much of prior to the pandemic. I guess that kind of tracks with some of the stuff that I've, I've read else, elsewhere, but um, I think I'm a little surprised by that. Uh, you know, in, in my case, I work from home, so it, the social part of it 
has been difficult. But, um, well, truthfully, you've been in my pod or I've been in your pod. So mm-hmm. so I know that your little pod and my little pod have kind of leaned on each other to uh, maintain some social cohesion and social activity uh, over this last year. Um, yeah. And, and I'm a generally, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of a guy. I'm, you know, it's, it's not that the glass is half full or half empty. It's that there's room for more wine. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree with you. And, and I, you know, and I know that I can probably speak for you when I say that we have been so thankful of our little bubble oh, yeah. of people that we've been able to maintain relationships with. Although, you know, we've been very creative in maintaining those relationships. But, but you know, as far as children go, and I know that the children that you personally interact with on a regular basis, or maybe not so regular since the pandemic, but the children that you mostly interact with uh, in your life are little bitty. And so children who are a little older, you know, at 18 months, children begin to have a need for socialization. They begin to not just have a need, but that's when they begin to learn how to socialize with other kids. So, you know, if you can imagine kids that are 18 months and older, all the way up to adolescence, which we consider to be at about 25, all that that whole age group has has been has really been traumatized. I mean, they they've had a loss of of socialization at school. They've they've lost friends. They've lost contact with people. A lot of children have literally dropped off the face of the earth because there's no longer accountability at school and you know with virtual school. And I think that it's been hardest this year on adolescents and and children, school age children. And and I think that we're going to start kind of seeing going forward. Um, you know that that trauma manifesting itself in in different ways, but but also going forward, you know, kids are so resilient, and I think that they're going to recover from this. But I think it's been a little hard on them. You said that it hadn't changed much, that, that your work life hasn't changed much, but you are doing more work from home than you used to do. Oh, absolutely. When uh, in the very beginning, I think it was probably the first or second month of the pandemic, several of our staff members came down with COVID. The clinic that we're in now is, gosh, I'm going to say it's about a thousand square feet. And so we have 10 staff members, two providers, and then all of the patients that come in typically bring a significant other or someone with them. They, they rarely come alone. And so that's a lot of people in a thousand square feet. And so when our staff members came down with COVID, we had to make some changes in the way uh, that we do business. And one of the changes was PPE. We use masking and then we also use face shields um, in addition to that. And then we're, you know, super careful as far as disinfecting and keeping people masked and safe and separated, socially distanced, which is very difficult also in a thousand square feet. So my colleague and I, through a conversation with our administration, we all decided that it was best if we alternated. So I've been home every other week. So I do uh, virtual visits home every other week and then she you know she and I alternate so only one of us is in the clinic and so televisits Lone Star my company really stepped up their game they had televisits online and ready to go from zero to fully functional within about one month. So uh, that was really amazing and that's one of the things that the COVID has done. Do you think that that's going to hang around? Absolutely. I I had a conversation with a patient the other day who is medically fragile uh, and a real introvert. And they were saying to me that I don't want things to go back to normal. I don't want things to, this is working for me. I like this. We've learned how to do this. And I don't think that, I don't think we're going to unlearn it. I don't think there's any going back from here. Uh, Virtual visits are here to stay. Uh, We've learned 
over the past year, the limitations of virtual visits, you know, but I can see a patient on a virtual visit and then have them go into the clinic and just drop off, you know, just have a lab done or have specimens done and, and then really find out what's going on. And so I think virtual visits work. And not only that, but we have a mutual friend who is a kind of a big dog at FedEx who says that they are going to shut down lots of their offices because they have learned that people can work from home very easily and happily. Why would you pay all that money to house people in an office when they can just be at home and be happier at home and be more productive at home? And so, yeah, it's really good. And as far as virtual visits go, especially in the the population, the demographic that we serve here in this in the Taylor area, we have lots of people who have serious transportation issues. You know, it's hard for them to get to Round Rock for a mammogram. It's really hard for them to get to an eye doctor appointment because they just don't have any transportation. We don't have public transportation. We're very rural. And so I think that virtual visits are excellent for that. There are so many things that we can do in a virtual visit. And not only that, but it's a it's a point of contact where you can you can actually talk to your very own um, healthcare provider, you know, and 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 not have to leave your house. And the fact is that even if people don't have a computer or transportation, most people have got a smartphone. And that was going to be my next question, and you answered it. You're not finding even among those people who don't have uh, good transportation options, you're not finding a difficulty with with that televisit and, and, and telemedicine, and it's the phones that's kind of making the difference. Absolutely. It's amazing what you can diagnose just by being able to see a person. Now, the patients that I see, I'm very familiar with. I know most of them fairly well. And so when I see patients that that I'm not familiar with, it's a little more difficult. But, you know, we've done a lot of training as healthcare providers to be able to utilize what the patient has there at their at their home to be able to to be able to help diagnose their issues. You know, I can I can tell someone Take both of your fists, reach around behind you with on each side, and hit yourself right there at the bottom of your rib cage. That's a test that we do in the clinic for pyelonephritis, which is um, kidney infection. Mm, okay. Uh-huh. And so I can have them do that, and, and it's just as effective as if I'm doing it. Oh, yeah, it hurts on the left side. Okay, well, then that tells me something, you know. The big problem is not being able to listen to people's lungs, which I do every person every visit. That's something that they're going to have to work out. But, you know, Lone Star has just recently had, um, we received a grant from, I think it was from Ascension Seton. And uh, we were able to give a lot of our patients uh, blood pressure cuffs and hemoglobin A1C machines, which test the blood every three months and let us know over a three-month span what their sugar control has been like. And and also, you know, the, the blood pressure cuffs, they are able to check their blood pressure monitor on a regular basis so they can report back to us. And and so that's been really great. Having people with those kinds of devices at home helps a lot as well. You, you mentioned this earlier uh, about the new clinic coming to, to Taylor. And I know based on previous conversations, how excited you are about this concept. As I understand it, this is not going to be you know, a medical clinic attached to a hospital that, you know, you just come in and you get your blood pressure and you have your physical and then go home. There's a whole lot more involved in this, almost more community involved in it than a typical medical clinic. I, I know a lot of people in Taylor have kind of sort of heard about this, but I'm not sure how well known, how much people 
really do understand about what this concept could do? Yeah, it's very exciting. The Headwaters Project that was initiated by um, Rhonda Munchink, who was our previous CEO, she worked very hard to get millions in grant money from uh, local healthcare uh, associations and the government. And there was an in-kind contribution from the city of Taylor. And it, it was a huge process just getting the funding. Then using a, an historic building, it's the West End School on 4th and Ferguson in Taylor. And it's just right smack dab in the middle of an older community in Taylor. It's easy for people to walk to. Even people from the south side could walk to this. People from the north side, people from all over could walk to this clinic. But the whole idea was to bring the community together. And so the building is a two-story red brick and it is uh, like a kind of an art deco style, uh, little two-story schoolhouse. And the, the first floor is below ground level. And so Lone Star had to decide how they were going to make this ADA accessible. And so instead of putting ramps inside and taking up space, they lowered the ground outside the building. And so there's going to be an entryway that is um, flush with the, the first floor. The outside entrances are going to be wooden decks that are on mul that are multiple levels so that they can have events um, shows concerts music can be a community gathering place there's a, a basketball court that is on one side of the building and that we really needed as a parking lot. We tried to negotiate some space around the area to get parking, but you know everybody wanted too much money for their property, and uh, which you know is fine. They really wanted to keep the basketball court because the kids play there every day, the right. kids in that neighborhood. And so they did. So we talked about it, and the people that designed this building were committed that they were going to keep that basketball court. So we're going to have a behavioral health department, which we haven't had in Taylor in a few years due to space constrictions. Uh, behavioral health is therapy and psychiatry for mental illness, and so that's really important. Lone Star is very committed to having behavioral health embedded in all of their clinics because we we know how important that is and what a big deal it is, you know, for overall holistic health. There's going to be a commercial kitchen which will uh, host Meals on Wheels and also be available for the community to use. We, we have a, a we have dietitians that work for Lone Star, and so they're planning to have cooking classes and uh, luncheons for people for educational seminars. A quarter of the downstairs is a dining area, and that's going to be the senior center where they have Meals on Wheels and all the senior center activities. The Fred Switzer Senior Center is going to be there. And then there's also a, kind of an office space in in the, the final quarter of the downstairs, which is going to be kind of a temporary space for WIC and uh, Texas Department of Human Services. And, you know, they can come in and set up office for, you know, a day or a couple of days a week and, and to get people uh, signed up for services that they need for, the, for themselves and their kids and their families. There's something about a community garden as part of this project? Oh, yeah. So the community garden, I think, is going to be over on 
uh, Doak Street. It's being headed up by uh, some members of Lone Star. And they're going to have a community garden uh, where they raise vegetables. And then we're going to be able to, as providers, write prescriptions for vegetables for patients. So you're going to give me a prescription for carrots? Is that the thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like that. And so, you know, whatever's in season, we'll be able to say, okay, for your family of four, we're going to give you this and this and this. And, you know, that means having a conversation with people about what they eat and what they want to eat and what they're willing to try. Well, and, and why this is important to me, I understand that, you know, a lot of, of folks who live on the margins go to places like Dollar General or the Dollar Store for their groceries, and there is no fresh vegetables at those places. No. No, there's not. We, unfortunately, back in the 90s, um, the, the major grocery store in this area moved farther north. And so it was really difficult for people from different parts of the city to get to it. There were no sidewalks. It's, that's changed a little. But now the grocery store has moved even farther north where it's on the very edge of the north side of town. Right. And so South Taylor is a food desert. The only thing on, in South Taylor where people can purchase food is um, a convenience store. And so having access to fresh fruits and vegetables is going to be uh, a boon for, for a lot of the people in this town. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's such an important component of holistic well-being and everything else. I mean, I know that I get griped at for not eating my vegetables. Even now, I get <laughs> Right, for not eating my vegetables. Well, you know, the thing is that. And, and you've heard it. <laughs> A plant-based diet is the healthiest diet that we can eat. It's what our teeth and our bodies were designed for. It's very important for us to have a certain amount of fresh, plant-based, healthy foods and fruits and vegetables every day. The fact is in Taylor that we have more fast food places than we have grocery stores. Well, yeah, we have one grocery store, really two, kind of, if you if you bring Davis Brothers in, uh, Brother Davis in. Fried chicken and hamburgers are not hard to come by. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people have grown up on those kinds of foods and they're not familiar with fresh fruits and vegetables. They don't know how to cook them. They don't know how to eat them. It's going to be hard to get people to to change their diets from away from processed foods and going toward um, fresh fruit, fresh food. All right. Right. So Lone Star is making a big effort and that's going to be great. And I'm very excited about this because, you know, we have a farmer's market that's in the middle of downtown and it's it's in the brand new Heritage Square Park. And it is uh, very, very well attended um, by the local area growers and also by the, the citizens of Taylor. And so I, I think that that's another access point for fresh fruits and vegetables for people. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. What's keeping you up at night these days? Um, I think that um, the, the the thing that concerns me uh, and the thing that, that I have a little anxiety about is um, availability of health care for people, availability of high quality health care for people and availability of, you know, of healthy food. And, and not only that, but, you know, people being able to have jobs that pay them well enough to have uh, to have healthy foods. Those, those are the things that worry me a lot. I, the people that I treat are, are so poor 
that they just don't, they just can't have the things that I take for granted. One of my patients came in for a, uh, a urinary tract infection and the patient said to me, what are you going to prescribe? And I, I said the name of the medication and the patient said to me, I have $7. And that was literally all the money that they had to spend on medication that day. So that shouldn't be a concern. People shouldn't have to say, I either have an infection and it'll go away by itself or it'll do whatever damage it does to my body or, you know, but I, I can't afford to treat it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I meant to ask this earlier. Are you seeing here and among your patients vaccine hesitancy? Because I know you treat a lot of minority groups and, and, and whatever, and that seems to be a group other than white male Republicans who are sorry, but it's true. I mean, <laughs> who, who seem to be hesitant to get the vaccine. Yeah, I, I think that I have a lot of patients who are saying, I, I'm going to wait. And, you know, I am a woman, which makes me a certain minority, but I do not have a full understanding of the minority experience. And we all know that the my, that minority individuals in this country have been taken advantage of in, in a big way by healthcare. And so it's not surprising to me that some people might have some concern and some fear, especially in light of the fast tracking that was done to um, approve these medications. And now the AstraZeneca is coming under fire for some side effects. And also uh, they're, you know, they're being, um, uh, it's being discussed that the data that they used to submit to the FDA in order to get their approval may not have been appropriate. And so if people are hearing those kinds of things and they already have a mistrust of the process and a mistrust of their own, their own experience, their own experiences, right, right. right in, in healthcare, then, you know, it, it makes it even more difficult, you know, it makes it even more difficult. What question am I forgetting to ask? Um, I, I think that one of the really great things that we are looking forward to in Taylor right now that I'm very excited about is carts expanding to on-demand transportation. Mm, um, mm -hmm. We're looking at getting a whole new version of carts in Taylor where people are going to be able to uh, get from place to place and not have to wait for four hours for the carts guy to come pick them up again. You know, right. I, I happen to know that um, it's very difficult to access carts in Taylor, and which is ridiculous. Right. And and everybody should be able to access that. You know, so, so right now, Carts is, is ramping up in Taylor and it's going to be almost like Uber, uh, right. that kind of on demand. And so we're, I'm very excited about that. And I, I think that, you know, that was probably the thing you wanted to ask. Yeah, it is. And, and you're right. They piloted that program down in Bastrop and we're the next community on the list to, yes. to, to get that. I think it's sometime late in the summer, late in the fall. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I, mean, I, I just think that it's really amazing that I, I, I can't tell you how difficult it is for some people to, to lack transportation, you know, just to not be able to go to the grocery store, to not be able to jump in your car and go someplace whenever you want to, to not be able to even get to your doctor's appointments. If I call in sick from work one day, that's 20 people who don't get to see their provider that day, who have planned on seeing their provider that day. They may have taken the day off. They may have arranged for a cousin to give them a ride. It's just, it's very stressful not having transportation. So the whole carts thing is just super important and we're very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And you're right. Thank you for mention that, mentioning that. Anything else that I'm forgetting to ask? Because <laughs> I completely forgot about that component <laughs> of what's going on. <laughs> I, um, I, I really, I think that, 
I think that you've covered everything very nicely, and I appreciate you thinking of me. It's very considerate of you. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you so much for, like I said, being being the ace up my sleeve when I needed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to sit in today. I'm quite sure I'll see you soon. I, I feel sure that we will too, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank my very special guest this week, Lisa Drummond. A reminder, you can help people find The Ragged Edge when you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you found it. And please share it with your friends so we can build our audience. The Ragged Edge is a production of RTS Connect, helping public-facing organizations make their point, then stay on point. Info at rtsconnect.org. Original theme music composed and performed by Ryan Stone. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to The Ragged Edge. See you next week. Thank you.